So I'm going to talk about uh, kind of a Christmas type message this morning and just to bring out some truths, um, kind of about who Jesus, he, who Jesus was or still is. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, there were, just, there were tons and tons of prophecies about who Jesus was going to be, who the, who the baby um, was going to be. You know, in fact, there were, um, there were 65 direct predictions um, of Jesus um, in the Old Testament. The baby was going to be born and, and, and they all, of course, got fulfilled. You know, they'd be, they'd be born in, in Bethlehem and, you know, grow up in Nazareth. And there's just, just so many different things about, um, you know, direct predictions of who he was. And probably the most prophetic of all the Old Testament books is, is Isaiah. Um, it's prophetic in lots of different ways, but particularly about the birth of Jesus. And, of course, you know about Isaiah 53, you know, by his wounds we're healed, he took our infirmity, he will take our infirmities and our sicknesses. By his wounds uh, we, we are healed. Um, and there's loads in, our, in Isaiah for unto us, a, 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 you know, son is born unto us, a, uh, a son is, unto us a child is born, sorry, unto us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, he'll be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Um, that's, in, that's in Isaiah. So, you know, there's loads in Isaiah predicting who the baby was going to be. One is Isaiah 7.14, where it talks about a baby being born who will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And there's a context to that story, and you kind of have to read it in Isaiah uh, chapter 7. We've got time to go into all that story today. There's a context to that story, but it was kind of had a double meaning. It has uh, a lot of things are often uh, prophetic in two different ways. It was prophetic at the time. It was written about a situation that was going on then with King Ahaz, but also it was prophetic about who Jesus was going to be in Matthew, who of course wrote one of the one of the gospels, one of Jesus' disciples. Um, he quotes it. So this is Matthew one verse eighteen to twenty five. It says this: This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So they weren't married. You have to understand the context of that. Is you is when they were engaged to be married, um, and engagement then was, you know, it was a it was almost like a legal commitment. It was like a legal commitment. We are going to get married. So when it talks about them being divorced, that's what it's talking about. It's breaking off the engagement. Um, it was seen. It would be seen at that time. It would have been seen as a disgraceful thing for someone to be pregnant outside of marriage. And that's this is this is the context of what Joseph was was doing it, okay? So he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I also wondered what Joseph must have thought about the situation. <laughs> you know, he didn't know, probably at that stage, you know, that, um, or even, you know, or the, when the angels did visit him and explained to Joseph about what was going on, did he really believe it? Did he really think that, you know, his wife had been, or his uh, fiance had been faithful to him? There must be a whole lot of stuff going through his head, right? Anyway, but he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But then it goes on to say well, what the angel said. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived to her is from the Holy Spirit. And it's like, I can you imagine his reaction? Oh, that's all right then. <laughs> that, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> okay. Of all the explanations I was going to come up with, that wasn't one of them. Okay. Anyway, she, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. It means Yahweh. Yahweh saves. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. So, to, so 
Matthew knew his Old Testament well and, and connects these, these two things together. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So I want to focus on um, Emmanuel and then just break down some other kind of stuff in, in the Christmas and the Christmas story from that. You know, so Emmanuel meaning God with us. This was, this was God's master plan. Amen? And you're glad that God always has a plan. And even if we don't understand it, and even if, to be frank, no one understands it, God still has a plan. Right? Amen? And that was the, that was the context of what was happening with Jesus. Although there had been all these kind of predictions, um, people didn't really know when Jesus was coming. If you know your Bible, you know that after Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament... Um, and it was a last book written in the Old Testament. It was like 400 years. Miriam knew. It's like 400 years. And basically, nothing is written down. I'm not, I'm not saying nothing happened, but nothing is written down under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what we have is the Bible. Nothing was written down about anything that happened. It was just kind of like a time of, of quiet. There's nothing written about what any prophets have said or, or anything. And then just suddenly Jesus, suddenly kind of Jesus uh, appears because that was just God's, you know, God's appointed time. So God always has a plan in a time of confusion and when people don't really know what's going on. And with all the prophecies that were uh, taken place, you know, it still kind of came out the blue in that sense. But God always has a plan. Amen. And before the dawn of time itself, God had a plan of salvation. Aren't you glad about that? God had a master plan and his plan was to come and be with us. To be Emmanuel, God with us, with God in, in, in human form, to be on this, on this earth and to show us how to live and, and to win salvation for us. Amen? And to pay the price so that we could be saved. I've heard him described, I've said this before, but I, I love this description of Jesus. He's God's perfect man and man's perfect God. And that's the, this, how the, his divine nature and his human nature combined. He was, he was fully human and, and fully God at the same time. This was God's master plan, amen, to be Emmanuel, God with us, to come in human form, to come, to come as a baby and, and to grow up as, as the saviour of the world. I often wonder about, you know, when Jesus was growing up, at what, what age he understood uh, everything and knew who he, who he was. It's an interesting thing to think about. I find it interesting. Anyway, but clearly by the age of 12, when he gets uh, Mary and Joseph accidentally leave him, leave him at the temple, he clearly knew by that stage. He said, I had to be in my father's house. He's like, why are, you, why are you surprised that I'm here? You know, I had to be in my father's house. So certainly by that age, um, he knew. This is who he's growing into, into, into be. Amen. The savior of the world. Amen. You know, so God's had a master plan. Could salvation have happened another way? Well, this was God's way of doing it. Uh, to bring restoration. To bring redemption. And God wanted relationship with us. I believe, again, that's why Jesus, that's why God did it this way, why he, he, he did it through Emmanuel, God with us to come in human form, because he wanted to do it through relationship. God loves relationship. God, God is relational. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the, in the Godhead, they are relational. It's, this is God's plan. You know, we're created as human beings. We're created in the image of God. We're created to be relational people, aren't we? You know, no man's an island. We're not supposed to do life on our own. God said about when God created Adam, he said it's not good for man uh, to be alone. He isn't just talking about marriage and friendship in, in any family context. No one should be doing life on their own, right? But we're, we're created to be relational, to be relational people because God himself is, is relational. Amen. And God wanted relationship with us. And I believe that's why he did it by coming to earth. He could have done it a different way. He could have had a different, uh, a different kind of master plan. But his 
master plan was to come down to the human race. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. His plan was always to come down to earth. Amen. 1 John 1 verse 14 says, John writes this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So as Emmanuel, God with us, he, he made his dwelling among us. That's amazing, that. Amen. Because this is all God's master plan. Praise God. So, so God made his dwelling um, among us. And last week we talked about some of the attributes of God. And, you know, the fact that, that God is, there's lots of different kind of ways we can describe God, attributes of God. You know, that he's omniscient. He's, he's, he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, that he's immutable, he, he never changes, he's, he's eternal, he's always been, and, he's, and he always will be, he's not, he's not a created being, he is the creator, he's not the created, amen? You know, and those attributes were now with us on earth in the baby Jesus. He's this kind of like seemingly helpless little baby, but here you have the immutable God here in, a, in baby form as a human. The omniscient, omniscient God here as a baby in a, in a manger. The omnipotent, all-powerful God. Amen. Here is a, is a baby in a manger. The immutable, never, never changing God. I, the Lord, I do not change, as Malachi 3 says. He never changes. His character, it never changes. He's totally faithful uh, to who he is. His character cannot change. His nature, his nature cannot change. Amen. Because that's, that's who he is. So that in those attributes of who God is, here it was in this baby form. This was Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? And the reason God needed to be with us was all about his plan of salvation and, and his plan of, of restoration. And I want to look at, I kind of bring all this together with, with the story of the, the, or the account of the, the wise men or, or magi or kings as sometimes, sometimes called. And it says this in Matthew 2 verse 9 to 12. After they, so that's the, the Magi, had heard the king, so that's talking about Herod, because they have this encounter with Herod. We haven't got time to go into all of that, but I'm sure you know about the encounter they have with Herod. It says, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw this star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So here are these, these wise men, presumably very, very, uh, presumably very wealthy. And, and it says um, they'd come from the east and, and, and probably traveled a long distance. And they'd come to bring gifts to Jesus. It doesn't say there were three wise men. That's just kind of like a tradition because there were three gifts mentioned. There could have been a whole, I'm sure there was more than one. Um, but it could have been a whole, whole bunch. It could be ten or, or more. Okay, but the, but they brought three three gifts with them, and they'd come to worship Jesus. You know, it's significant. There was magi, and there were there were shepherds. It was kind of like the two ends of society. If you understand kind of the Jewish culture, as it was then, shepherds were kind of like the lowest of the low. It was like the worst job you could possibly have. Think about the worst. I'm not going to name any jobs. Someone might do those jobs. I don't know. But you think about kind of what we, what to you would be the worst job that you could possibly have. Um, that, that's basically what a shepherd was like then. It was like, if you couldn't do anything else, you weren't qualified to do anything else, like, oh, well, you'll be all right, you'll be a shepherd and look after sheep. You can do, you can do that. At least you can do, you can do something. 
So that was kind of like the lowest. That was kind of like the lowest of the low of what people, what people could do. And then obviously you got the other extreme end of these very wealthy, wealthy magi because because Jesus was there for for, for all people, a man for every angle of society. Praise praise God. So they brought these three gifts to to Emmanuel to to God with us, his baby, the the attributes of God that that, that existed within this baby, this omnipotent, om, omnipresent, and immutable and eternal and um, you know. Uh, omniscient God were here in this baby Jesus and here were these the wise men these magi here to worship him bringing their three gifts you know and these, these gifts were incredibly significant and that's what I kind of want to break down uh, this morning the significance of these gifts now I don't know wh- how, whether the magi knew how significant they were I don't, I don't know I mean because scripture doesn't really doesn't really tell us kind of what spiritual insight they had into it but they clearly knew something about this baby right because they'd come, they'd come to worship him. You know, I mean, these weren't Jews, but but you know, Jews knew full well you only worship God. It's the first, the first of the Ten Commandments: worship your Lord your God and worship Him only. You know, so the fact that they came to worship him is is significant, um, you know, in itself. But whether whether the, the gifts themselves, they knew kind of the spiritual significance of them. I don't, I don't know. But maybe they did. And amazing if they did. But I kind of want to break down some stuff from that. Of Emmanuel, God with us, and what these gifts, what these gifts mean, the significance that, that they had, and what this means, uh, kind of, you know, for us, two thousand years later, praise God. So, what do these gifts represent for Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, the omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, immutable, immutable God in baby form, God with us, Amen. So, what do these gifts represent? So, God was with us, and to bring us three different things, I'm going to talk about the three R's this morning. R. The R's, not, not pirate R's. Three R's this morning. Like any good sermon, we've got three points, and they've all got the same letter, so they go, don't complain. <laughs> don't say I don't give you anything. So, so the first one... Sorry, my, vo- my voice is very dry, as you can probably tell. But anyway, we'll keep going in, in Jesus' name. Praise God. So the first, the first one is restoration. The first R is re- restoration. So this is represented by the gold. So the gold represents the fact that Jesus was a king. And not just a king, the king. Amen? This was representing the, the reality. Again, I don't know if the, the major knew the significance of, 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 of what they were bringing. I don't, don't know. But I, I think they probably did. That, that Jesus was the king and, and he was going to bring the restoration of God's kingdom. Amen? Luke 4 verse 42 to 44 says this talks about the ministry of Jesus at daybreak Jesus went to a solitary place the people were looking for him and when they came to where he was they tried to keep him from leaving him but he said I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea this was the very reason that Jesus had been sent to proclaim the kingdom of God that there was a different way of doing life it talks about after Jesus resurrection then just before you know those the period of time between his resurrection and ascension there's just uh, several weeks then. It said that Jesus went around teaching about the kingdom. It's like the last thing he left people with was, was more teaching about how the kingdom of... And there's so many, so many parables over and over again where Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. You know, it's like a mustard seed. It's like this, like this. It's like this. And you can read all those throughout the Gospels. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. This, so this is what this gold represents. He was a king. And, and so the, oh, we're talking about his restoration. Restoration of God's, God's kingdom. Restoration also of God's, God's created order. We talked a little bit about this last week. We t- touched on it a little bit. We talked about spiritual warfare, but about kind of authority. 
and, and what was kind of going on in the earth and, and how Adam Adam and, and Eve in, in their sin had kind of lost the authority that, that God, uh, God had given them. So Jesus also come to restore that, to restore authority. Not that, not that Jesus ever lost authority. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Okay? Jesus was always in charge. God was always in charge. Okay? But in terms of what was going on on the earth and how Adam and Eve, through deception, had kind of given the dominion that they'd been given by God. They'd given that kind of over to Satan through deception. And the Bible talks about the sec- Jesus being the second Adam to put right what the first Adam had messed up, right? To bring restoration, restoration of his kingdom and rest- restoration of his created order. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 to 22 says this, For since death uh, came through a man, so that's, that's, that's talking about, that's talking about um, Adam and how kind of our, our natural death um, came through a man. You know, it's, it's assumed in the original uh, created order that humans didn't die at all. That's, that's what's assumed, because you know, there was no sickness. There, there was none of that stuff until until sin um, entered entered the world. So since for since death, and of course ultimately it means spiritual death. For since spiritual death came through a man, the resurrection of death also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Be thankful for that this morning. Amen. In Christ all will be made alive. So all that had been messed up, and we probably would have done the same with Adam and Eve if we'd been there, right? Let's not judge them, <laughs> okay? But you know, all that they kind of messed up and, and, and allowed sin to come into the world, allowed themselves to be deceived. They hadn't listened to what God had said and then allowed themselves to be deceived by the devil. Jesus came to put that right. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with us to put these things, to, to put these things right, to bring total restoration. Restoration of, of his kingdom, the establishment of, of his kingdom, the establishment of his kingdom principles. As Jesus over and over again, he said to the, on, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard this, but I say this. This was Jesus illustrating what his kingdom, kingdom looked like. This, this, totally, this totally blew people's minds uh, at the time. About when he, when he said, you know, you've heard this, but, but I say this. So you've heard it said, you know, uh, you, know you, you, you love your friends and hate your enemies. But Jesus was like, no, but I say this. No, no, you love your enemies too and you pray for those who persecute you. This would have totally blown people's minds. The Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other with, with a passion. There was, like, there was no love lost between the two. That's why Jesus, in the story of, of, the, of the Good Samaritan, he intentionally uses a Samaritan to make a point. Because kind of this Jewish, in, in the story, isn't it, a Jew gets beaten up, doesn't he? And there's kind of religious leaders kind of walk on past. And then um, you know, there's a Levite and a priest, so they walk on past, and it's a, a Samaritan that saves. This would have blown, peop- blown people's total concepts. And we always have to understand scripture in the context of what's being said, right? Jews and Samaritans, they couldn't stand each other. Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria. When, when Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan, there's a Samaritan woman at the well, isn't there, where Jesus speaks to. So it's kind of, he was speaking to a Samaritan and speaking to a woman on his own. These were like two total things that you just never, ever do. You wouldn't even travel through Samaria. It's just like somewhere you just like, uh, you know, just totally avoid. This is like, you know, Southampton Portsmouth we're talking about, you know. <laughs> Maybe not that crazy, I don't know. But, but, but that was the reality of what was going on in that time. So Jesus intentionally, because remember the, the, sto- the context of that story is, is, is a guy is trying to, uh, religiously is trying to justify himself and says about, he's asked about the greatest commandments. Well, Jesus asked him that question. He says about love your neighbor as yourself. And then, but then the, well, the guy tries to justify himself. He says, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. To kind of totally blow their concepts. Of like, so you're saying a Samaritan... <laughs> one, a Samaritan can be good. This is blowing my mind. And also, Samaritan is my neighbor. This is totally blowing my mind. You know what I mean? It, it totally went against the concepts of, that people uh, had, had been taught and are kind of okay with. 
But this was the establishment of God's kingdom, the restoration of God's kingdom on earth. Amen. And God continues to build his kingdom. You know, the gates, even the gates of Hades cannot stop you know, his church and his kingdom being built. Amen. And there's a second Adam he put right. That God's created order. To claim back authority. And we talked about this last week. Jesus, the last thing he said before he went back to heaven, all authority on earth is on, on heaven and earth has been given to me. And go then. Go then and make disciples go in that authority into the world. Amen. It's not it's not our authority, it's his authority, but we can go in that authority. Amen. So so the gold represents the fact to be a king and that he'd bring restorations. That's the first R. Number two. The gift of frankincense, which of course is a is um Represent the fact that Jesus was a priest, in fact, the high priest, and they would use incense and frankincense, you know, in the kind of their priestly duties. So the R for this one is, is it represented reconciliation. Represented reconciliation. So the gold represented restoration, the fact that Jesus was the king and the king of kings. The frankincense represented the fact he was, he was a high priest. This is, this is who this baby was, Emmanuel, God with us. Is this, this kind of seemingly helpless little baby knows it's going to be the, our great high priest. Amen? And this was about bringing reconciliation of relationship. Now, the purpose of priests in the Old Testament was to be that mediator between God and man. You know, people didn't have direct access, um, you know, direct access to God. That's why you kind of had prophets and kind of the Old Testament type prophets. You know, the majority of people, they couldn't hear from God for themselves. You would have a prophet who kind of would do that on your behalf. And you couldn't also have, uh, you know, direct access into the presence of God. You kind of had a priest who did that on your behalf. And a priest who'd also kind of do the forgiveness part on your behalf as well. You had to bring your sacrifices, but then the priest would kind of, you know, do the, do the business, so to speak, you know, with the animals and sacrifices you had to bring in order to kind of bring you into a right place with God. And you still, even then, still couldn't go into the presence. You still couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, um, as it was in, in the temple, the tabernacle, and, and later the temple. You couldn't go to the holiest place, unless you were one of the anointed, anointed priests. And even some of the anointed priests used to die, it says, in, in the presence of God, because it, it was just such a, a place of such power. So the purpose of priests was to be this mediator, you know, between God and, and, and humans. God and, and, and believers. Amen? This is who Jesus ultimately was. To be our great high priest. To be the mediator between us and God the Father. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 to 6 says this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Amen? So Jesus came to deal with this issue once and for all. You know, we know the story, the account of the cross and what happened. And, and it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That's not just some kind of like random, random fact. Oh, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. No. And you've got to remember this is a curtain. When we talk about a curtain, not about like curtains at home. We talk about like a curtain, like these sorts of red curtains that are up here. This was this huge kind of barrier that, that separated the people from the Holy of Holies. Because it was so, it was a place where people could die in, in the presence of God. Because you had to be holy to go into that to go into that place. So that's why the high priest had to do things on the people's behalfs. Now the curtain was, was torn in two. Amen. That barrier between us and God. Amen. That suddenly we could have direct relationship, direct connection. We didn't no longer had to go through a priest. Amen. And praise God. Praise God for that. So he's brought us, he's the mediator between God and man. He brings us reconciliation as the great high priest. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, praise God. Behold, all things have become new. 
Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This was was totally God's intention, amen? To to reconcile us so we can then have that relationship, amen, because he is our great high priest. And, and also, what's amazing about Jesus, he, he understands our, our weaknesses as, as our great high priest as well. He understands our, our temptations and things that we, we battle with. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Remember, Jesus was fully human. So he, he was tempted in every way. Whatever those temptations, you can you know, think about what they may be. But it says that Jesus was tempted in every way. So I, I take that the way that's read. Amen. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. So he showed us how we could be victorious over sin. Amen. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with, with confidence. This is the significance of the curtain being totally torn in two. We can now approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and grace to find... Uh, sorry, may find... May receive... Words out. May receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Praise God. So we have direct access to the Father because He is the great high priest, and once and for all, He has dealt with that, that barrier between us and God and has brought reconciliation as our great high priest. And He understands our weaknesses, He understands what we go through. Because, and this again, this was God's master plan to be Emmanuel, God with us. You know, if God had just kind of just done it in heaven and, and you know, just done something in heaven, and that just brought us salvation. Would, would Jesus fully would, would we? Would, Jesus would fully understand because he's like all knowing, but we we would probably feel as humans, as believers, we probably think, well, God doesn't really. Understand. Well, it's easy for Jesus. He, he's Jesus. No, Jesus totally understands because he's been here and he's walked it and dealt with and dealt with every temptation. And some of the stuff culturally in in Jesus' time was was terrible. I mean, it's just as crazy as some of the stuff culturally uh, these days. There were kind of temptations, temptations and corruptions and, and awful stuff and sin going on everywhere. Praise God. He's our great high priest. So he came to bring us, bring us restoration. That's what the gold represents. In fact, he's the king to bring, us rep, uh, to bring us restoration of his kingdom. The frankincense represents the fact he was our great high priest to bring us reconciliation. And thirdly, myrrh, which of course was what's what they used to use to embalm uh, dead bodies. And this represents Jesus' death and, and resurrection, the fact that he was our saviour. Amen. And that he was going to bring the R for this one, he's going to bring redemption. Amen. He's going to bring us restoration and going to bring us reconciliation. And thirdly, to bring us redemption. Praise God. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that my sins are forgiven. I'm so glad that my past my past is, is forgotten. I'm so glad that my debt has been paid. And, and, and I'm even more glad that I didn't even have to do anything to get any of those things. It's almost like, you know, we're, we're taught, aren't we, in our Western culture, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Now, often with kind of all the scams that go on these days, that is often true, isn't it? And it's like, well, there's all this free stuff you can get. And if you, and usually it's like some, you know, or you can get some amazing new, I don't know, software for free or something, or some new, I don't know, streaming service or something for free. And basically, there's always a catch. And they just hope that you forget that you've signed up for a free trial or something, don't they? <laughs> There's always usually a catch, isn't there? And they f- you, or you have to give your, your bank details at the beginning, and then suddenly you've realized you've signed up for something you didn't even know what you're doing. 
So there's always kind of like these scams. We're always, we're always taught, aren't we, in a Western world to be, and we do need to be cautious because there's a lot of stuff that does happen online these days and um, you have to be careful with. But we're taught there's, there's no such thing as a free lunch. If something's too good to be true, it normally is. But when it comes to Christianity, the reality is it, it, it is too good to be true, but it absolutely is true. And, and it's not a scam. It's the most incredible blessing that we could ever have in our lives. We have done absolutely nothing except accept the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That's all all we've done. It's it's a gift of grace, of unmerited favors. It's a gift of mercy. Amen? And this is, of course, what separates Christianity from all the other faiths that that exist. Because we're not trying to meet God's standard. We're not trying to jump through hoops, not trying to make God like us or, or love us or accept us or anything else. As if we could ever meet God's standard anyway. You know, the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even if we try to do it, I'll, try to, you know, I'll just try a bit harder. I'll try a bit more righteous. I'll try a bit more holy. As if we could meet God's perfect standards anyway. Of course we can't. So it's just kind of, you know, that's before, but I'll say it again. If, if that's you, and that's you in your life, and you're trying to strive to get God to like you and accept you, I'd encourage you just to give up. I'm dead serious. It's your pastor. Stop it. As if, as if we can ever meet God's standards anyway. It's all because of a gift of his grace and what he's done for us. Amen. Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 8. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Amen. We're forgiven by his blood. We've been washed clean. We've been made new. That, that it says, the Bible says we've been bought at a price. You know, when, when, when someone pays off a mortgage, it's, it's, it's called redeeming the mortgage, isn't it? It's just how mortgage you know about that. You have to ask a redemption statement, right? <laughs> and you have to do a redemption statement. It tells you how much you, how much you owe. And if you're in a blessed position to be able to pay your mortgage off early, awesome. You have to ask for a redemption statement. It says what you owe, and then you pay, you pay that off, and then that debt is, is gone. And, and the house is now fully, it's kind of yours anyway because you're living in it, but it's become fully yours. The bank no, no longer, bank or building side no longer has any legal claim to it whatsoever. Amen? So the debt, the debt is gone, right? That's, that's the reality of what Jesus has done for us. It's like this debt of sin that was kind of like round our neck. He has redeemed it. He, he's paid it off. The price is gone. Amen. We're now totally free. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. And we've done nothing. And we've done nothing <laughs> other than accept it. Amazing. So the price that's been paid for our sin is 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 amazing. In Galatians three verse thirteen, Paul writes, "Christ has redeemed us." So he talks about the word redemption again. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." And that's all about hanging on the cross, obviously. Okay. So we're now free from the curse of the law. That, that, that law of sinful nature, that, that, a law of having to go through, kind of jump through hoops as they had to in the Old Testament. Because remember, all the purpose of that was to point towards Jesus and our need for Jesus. It had to be a once and for all sacrifice to deal with the issue of sin once and for all. They used, in, in, in Old Testament times, they'd have the Day, day of Atonement. And Jews would still do this today. People who are still practicing Jews have the annual Day of Atonement, where they kind of basically, if you haven't covered any of your sins just, uh, in the correct way during the year, then they had to have this one big Day of Atonement to make sure everything's covered. But there had to be a once and for all sacrifice to deal with this once and for all. 
for, for Jesus to be our atonement, amen, and to bring us total redemption. We're free from the curse of the law. We're now free to serve him. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free, no longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, amen. We're free from the, we're free from the curse of the law. We can now live under the beauty of grace. Amen. Grace is unmerited favor. So that's kind of all I wanted to say this morning. But what an amazing Savior we have. What an amazing, amazing story that the story of, of Christmas is. And so this Christmas, let's remember who this baby was destined to be. You know, let's not ever fall into the trap of thinking of, and I don't think any of us do fall into this trap, but I'm just, just saying this but to encourage you. But let's never fall into the trap of thinking, yeah, that's a cute story. Oh, that's lovely, you know, and there's a lovely baby there, and Mary and Joseph, and there's some, like, some, there's a smiling ox, and there's a, <laughs> there's a smiling donkey over there, and you know what I mean? It's all kind of clean and sanitary, and um, et cetera, et cetera, and I think it's probably very, very different to that <laughs> reality. But it's not about a cute story, although it is a, is a lovely story in and of itself, you know, the greatest story ever told. So I made a film about that, wasn't it? Greatest story ever told. It's about Jesus' birth and his, his death, et cetera is an amazing story in itself. But the important thing is about who this baby was. It was Emmanuel, God with us. God in human form. This was God's master plan, God's, God's master stroke. Amen? To, to deal, with the, deal with the issue of sin once and for all and to bring us salvation once and for all, to atone for us once and for all. And for these three, three, three gifts and from the Magi, representing the fact he was our king to bring, to bring restoration, restoration of his created order, restoration of his kingdom. Amen? establishment of his kingdom the frankincense representing the fact he was our high priest to bring us reconciliation to give us free access into the presence of god amen and the myrrh representing the fact that he was our savior and his death and resurrection sin was going to be defeated once and for all we were going to have total redemption we were now going to be free from the power of sin our sinful nature will be dealt with the old has gone and the new has come that's who this baby was destined to be and praise god for that let's remember that this christmas who this baby is emmanuel god with us our Savior, and our King, and our great High Priest. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your master plan of salvation. Lord, what, what an amazing, amazing God you are. That before the dawn of time itself, Lord, you had a plan. Lord, it's a plan that nobody would have predicted. Lord God, and Lord, and even with all the Old Testament prophecies, people still didn't really know what was going to happen and shocked when it did happen. Even when you told your disciples, Lord, what you were going to do and that you were going to, that, that, that you were going to be taken to the cross and you were going to die and three days later rise again, they didn't really understand it. And the Lord, there was just so much kind of confusion in us as humans, Lord, but you knew what you were doing. You had a master plan, Lord, to deal with the issue, uh, to deal with the issue of sin, to deal with the issue between us, the barrier that existed, Lord, between, between us, as, us as believers and you. Lord, we thank you for that, Lord God. You, firstly, we thank you always have a plan. You always know what you're doing, even if we don't understand it, even if we're confused, you know what you're doing. Oh God, and we thank you, Lord, that you came to be with us. That you, you loved us so much, you loved the, the people of the world so much, you gave your one and only son. And we thank you, you came to be God with us. You came to be with us to be, to be our king, uh, to be our high priest, to be our saviour. 
Lord, in this Christmas, Lord, maybe, Lord, just uh, have a new revelation of that, a new kind of remembrance of that, of the reality of, Lord, of who this baby was, <laughs> Lord, who you were destined to be, Lord, who you were destined, Lord, to be, for, Lord, for each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord God, Lord, for bringing restoration. Thank you for bringing reconciliation. Lord God, thank you for bringing redemption. Lord, thank you for doing that, Lord, for me. Thank you for doing that for every single person that's here. Praise you, God. You're such a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're so good.